years and I ran or went to the gym at least three times a week and I wore jeans again. I finally wore jeans again, not worrying about how much more snugly than chinos they fit. I had a serious romantic relationship, my first in more than seven almost entirely celibate years. At the beach, I took my t-shirt off, not right when I got there and not all the time, but some of the time, if there weren't too many narrower people around, if I was standing up or stretched out, if I'd done a decent run or workout that morning or the night before, if I was feeling light and good. Was this how I'd be from now on? Was I finally safe? I couldn't know. But some sort of confidence, maybe even courage, had apparently taken hold. I didn't cut the editor's call short. With increasing interest, I listened as she made a case that I was a quick enough learner, a self-assured enough thinker, and a nimble enough writer to set off in an unanticipated direction and try my hand at something wildly different. And then I told her I'd consider it. It wasn't likely to go anywhere anyway. In my nine years at the newspaper, I'd written about politics, religion, crime, immigration, movies, books, and even the Miss America pageant. I'd never written about food, not unless you counted stray paragraphs about George W. Bush's fondness for peanut butter and cheese doodles, and not unless you factored in a feature story about Las Vegas residents larding themselves at all-you-can-eat buffets. That was one from the heart. I knew more about papal encyclicals than about Peking duck, and had little more reason to believe I'd get this restaurant critic job than to believe I'd be anointed the next pope. But why not revel in the compliment of being thought capable of such a stretch? Why not let the idea bounce around my head? It was a harmless fantasy. And then, it wasn't. Just weeks after that first call from the editor in New York came another. The job was mine if I wanted it. Did I? Saying yes would mean leaving Rome about midway through what was typically a four-year stint, and that gave me pause. While I had made my way to Sicily for stories on three occasions and had managed four trips to Florence, I was still trying to find a justification for Capri and Positano, and in time I was sure I would. And my Italian had finally progressed from deducible to out-and-out -out discernible. I figured serviceable was right around the bend. Saying yes would also mean putting myself in the path of sometimes withering scrutiny in New York, where the newspaper's restaurant critic had a significant effect on the fortunes of chefs and restaurateurs, who sporadically and understandably fought back. I didn't long for that. But there was, of course, an even more compelling reason not to say yes, and it came up during one more call, this one from an editor higher up the newspaper's chain of command, an editor who had seen me over the past decade. She wanted some reassurance, but not about my confidence in tackling this new subject matter or my comfort in switching from correspondent to critic and not about whether I had made peace with leaving Italy when living there had been a lifelong dream. Speaking as a friend more than a boss, she pressed me on a different issue altogether, whether an agenda of eight to ten major meals a week in serious restaurants, a mandatory program of night after night of ambitious and sometimes excellent food, was a risk I really wanted to take, whether it was something I could really handle. Are you sure, she asked me, that you're willing to sacrifice the good shape you've gotten into? I was sure I wasn't, and for reasons I was still working out in my head, I'd come to believe I wouldn't have to. I told her that, and we agreed that I would set off on this strange adventure, in spite of a past in which appetite and circumstance had combined to such neurotic and sometimes sad effect. Maybe, I thought, this decision is insane, but it was also irresistible, even poetic, the kind of ultimate dare or dead reckoning a good narrative called for. My life-defining relationship, after all, wasn't with a parent, a sibling, a teacher, a mate. It was with my stomach. 
And among all the doubts, insecurities, and second-guessing that had so often shadowed me, there was one certainty, one constant. I could eat. Part 1. I'm eating as fast as I can. Chapter 1. I have neither a therapist diagnosis nor any scientific literature to support the following claim, and I can't back it up with more than a cursory level of detail, so you're just going to have to go with me on this. I was a baby bulimic. Maybe not baby, toddler bulimic is more like it, though I didn't so much toddle as wobble, given the roundness of my expanding form. I had been a plump infant and was on my way to becoming an even plumper child, a ravenous machine determined to devour anything in its sights. My parents would later tell me, my friends, and anyone else willing to listen that they'd never seen a kid eat the way I ate or react the way I reacted whenever I was denied more food. What I did in those circumstances was throw up.